This podcast is brought to you by Learn Prime. Start your journey to becoming a great developer at learn.thoughtbot.com. So Ilya, what do you guys do to um, get better as developers, to grow your skills? Play video games. We play video games and um, we... That's good. Yeah, we have Nerf guns and stuff in the office. It also helps a lot with our survival skills. Giant robot smashing into other giant robots. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Giant Robot Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast. It is Wednesday, August 14th. My name is Ben Orenstein. I'm here today with two people, Natalie Nagel and Ilya Sabanin. How are you guys doing? Good. How are you? Hey. So, Natalie, you are the uh, found, a founder of Wildbit. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Chris and I run Wildbit together. Chris is your husband. Chris is my husband. Yes. Okay. And you guys actually started out as a consultancy, right? Yeah, so Wildbit originally, uh, so Wildbit's almost 15 years old. It'll be 15 in November. Wow. Yeah, and uh, Chris started it when he was 19, and we were doing like small brochure sites for a bunch of local bars and nightclubs um, in the city. And then, you know, over the years, started picking up bigger projects. For a long time, we were really concentrating on, uh, what am I trying to say? Social networks. Yeah, social network. I forgot the term. Social networks. Yes, remember those. So we were doing a lot of like <laughs> social network projects for different clients, and ultimately launched like Beanstalk. You know, almost six years ago. So that was like our first uh, big, big product that we were doing on our own, and then kind of shifted towards products only. But yeah, we did consulting for more than half of the life of the company. Mm. And was Newsberry your first product? It was. It was our very first product. Uh, we were doing a project for a local kind of nonprofit in Philadelphia in, I want to say like 2005. And uh, they needed an email marketing service. And back then, there weren't really many good options, especially smaller options. So we built an email marketing platform for them and then kind of liked it and decided to sell it to other people and built like our first little product. But we never did it full. We never did it full time. So we never had like the concentration and the effort that we did with Beanstalk. So. I mean, I think it's known that we shut it down, but uh, that was our very, very first product. But I don't think it was as successful. Mm. So, so Beanstalk actually launched while Newsberry was still around. Yes. Yeah, we launched Beanstalk six years ago and shut down Newsberry three years ago, I think. Yeah, three years ago. So we should talk about Beanstalk. Uh, so that's Beanstalk is private subversion and Git hosting. Yes. Uh, well, we do a little bit more than that. So a lot of it, we, we kind of built Beanstalk around a development process more than just version control. So we do, we have these awesome deployment tools, which kind of kind of close the loop a little bit. So you can, you know, have your team in Beanstalk committing code, changing code right inside Beanstalk and then deploying it directly to their servers. So it gives you kind of that full circle. And a lot of like a lot of what a lot of our customers do is have staging on automatic, like to deploy on every commit. So they constantly have like a live version of what they're doing. So it really just closes the gap a little bit and makes it a much more robust process, I think, for a lot of teams. And, and uh, judging from a blog post, this is at least six years old, this app? It'll be six in November. So Ilya, I have a question for you that maybe you can answer. I saw um, a post on the blog about doing an upgrade to Rails 4 and Ruby 2. Were you involved in that? Yeah, yeah. I was actually leading the, the whole the idea of moving to Rails. I was pushing it a lot in the in the past years, we tried to do it multiple times, and uh, we tried to do it multiple times unsuccessfully. And this time, it was finally a success. So, so you you went from two three to four, is that right? Rails two three. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. We were on Rails two point three and Ruby one point eight, and we jumped to Rails four beta at that point, 
and Ruby 2.0. So what, what do you think made you successful this time? Why did it work this time as opposed to before? I think better organization because the company, I mean, Chris and Natalie gave us basically green light and all of the developers were able to um, stop doing what they were doing and completely focus on just, just the Rails migration. It's a lot of resources and it's a lot of um, you know, responsibility just to drop everything and just sit down for 11 weeks and only do refactoring, which is you know, very hard to explain to people like what we did for 11 weeks and why the app is like the same as it was before. Chris and Natalie understand this stuff better than anyone, so it allowed us to do it. Because previously, it was, I was just, you know, I was feeling motivated and I would jump in and I would try to upgrade to, you know, Rails 3 and I would, you know, just, just to see how, long, how far I can go with it. And I would spend like my weekend working on it and I would realize that everything is broken, nothing works. And like I need to invest weeks in this. And it was always outside of an iteration. It was always like kind of like my side project. So having so now having made it to the other side and and successfully done a, a monst- kind of monstrous upgrade like this, do you have some lessons learned that you would pass on to others who may need to walk the same path? Yeah, don't use Rails two. Yeah, that's my that's my own because if you're on Rails two, you're basically screwed because there is no way because they, what they did with with the migration, what they did with the with the, with the changes they did from Rails two to Rails. Three is just they made everyone's life very hard because it was never like this. We, we did many, many migrations of Rails. We did all of the minor. I was using Rails since version zero point five, so you can imagine we did so many migrations, like minor ones. And when it was still before version one, there was a lot of changes to the API and stuff. Like basically every week, we would we would we would look the, at the at the SVN log, we would implement the changes. It was never that that hard. Because basically they changed so much that if you wanna if you wanna migrate, you, you have to sit down and you have to rewrite a ton of code. Even if your application is decoupled and if you have if you following good practices practices and stuff. Unfortunately, it's very painful. So Natalie, can you give us an idea of uh, what your day to day looks like now? Sure. So we a year ago we actually brought. Uh, a bunch of people from all over the world that were working for us remotely, like Ilya came from Siberia, and we hired a bunch of people in Philly, so we're now 10 people in the office. So my day has definitely changed from what it used to be. Like, we come into the office now in the morning, um, Chris and I, and then usually it's just a lot of, the morning is just a lot of, like, moving moving things out of people's way. So whether it's helping Dana with support, um, you know, some more complex issues, or, you know, some business-y type questions like my partnerships or somebody's really mad about something. I'll help her kind of get through that. Uh, we'll do meetings with the team on a Monday morning if it's a Monday. Uh, just same kind of thing, like what's in your, what's blocking you, what's in your way, and how do I get that, move that out of your way so you can keep going. And then, you know, then usually by then I'm at, at lunch. So my morning is really just like email and just kind of picking up where we left off. And then the second half of my day, I try to what I call like being on the offensive instead of the defensive. So I try to kind of get to a point, not that I'm a big sports person, but like that's just how I picture it in my head. And I try to, instead of reacting, kind of just doing things. So a lot of what I try to do is from the like business development side, just we have a couple of people do some marketing stuff for us. So just kind of managing that process and seeing where we are with that partnerships. Uh, I don't know, just whatever kind of comes along. But I do a lot of like that side of the business where Chris does a lot of the product development 
with the team because he has a much more technical background. So he'll do that and then I'll do whatever kind of gets thrown at me. But I think it's, you know, when you run a small company, it's just whatever shows up on my, on my desk that morning. So one of my favorite metaphors is uh, from Joel Spolsky, where he talks about creating this thing called the development abstraction layer. And he says it's important to make your developers feel like the only thing that's needed to make the company work is to write code. And like the management's job is to make them believe that that is true and to keep everything else off their plates and out of the way. And like you said, just keep them unblocked. Yeah. Any of those weird issues or like the office issues or, you know, partnerships and all that stuff. Just make make it make the developers think none of that actually matters. Keep it out of their way. Well, and I mean, right. So like we hire when we. Over, when we launched the, or opened the office, like we're really big believers in like private space and enclosed space and giving the team their own quiet space. Like, you, you know, we first started and it was just a couple of us and we had like big open desks and a big open space. We're in like this old, um, like kind of warehousey looking industrial building. And, you know, as soon as the rest of the team came in, like we got these cool pods with like six foot, you know, I think they're five foot. Uh, separators so they kind of look like cubes but they're much nicer um to give everybody personal space and you know our friends will come up and they're like this is weird why would you do this you know closed space thing you know that looks so stupid i want to sit next to them well the team wanted quiet personal space and nothing's coming in between their eyes you know like flashing before their eyes and nobody's disrupting them and they can code and that's like what that's that's what runs the whole company and then we hire an office manager to take all that other crap out of their way you know so they need Batteries, the batteries are there. They need a drink. We always have water. You know, we do a family lunch in the office. So every day, uh, Ilya's wife, she actually volunteers her time. She's a chef, and she comes in, and she cooks us a meal. And every day, the whole team sits together, and Wild Bit pays for it, and we have lunch together. And that's kind of the one time we can get the team out of their desks and looking at each other and hanging out because we're all really good friends. But we do it not because we don't want them to leave the office. We do it so it's like an easier thing because like, – there's nothing worse than like it's lunchtime, you're hungry and you're like, all right, what are we going to eat? It's like, where do we go? All right, we'll go here. And this way, like it's always done. It's always there. And we have this really, you know, awesome food. Um, but that's, you're right. Like the, all about just making sure that they have what they need to be as, ex- as successful as they are. We don't want them to work at home. We want them to only work in the office so they can have their own personal time at home and do what they got to do, you know, have family lives and have hobbies and things like that. So our job is to keep them as productive and as happy as they can be in the office. Ilya, do you uh, manage other developers there? Or would you say, is it sort of a more egalitarian than that? Flat structure? We're yeah. flat, right? Is yeah, I would, say, I would say we don't manage, we don't actually manage anyone. We manage products. I would say we manage products. So we only have, we only have a, like a handful of developers. We don't have a, a whole uh, army of developers mm-hmm. we have to manage. How, how many developers? We have three guys on, on Beanstalk. And we have three guys on Postmark, right? Yeah, we have three guys on Postmark and three guys on Beanstalk. So in each developer, we all have like our own chunks of, of the application we're taking care of most of the time. We overlap and we sometimes switch. We do like different kinds of work. But most of the time, you basically, we all manage application. And you manage your, like Dima is responsible mostly for deployments. So he's taking care of the deployment side. And that doesn't mean that I can't, go into deployments and do something in there. But this just means that his daily life includes more deployments than mine. And Chris Ledet recently joined us. He he just implemented per word diffing for change sets and stuff. So he will be he is taking care of that part now. It's kind of his child. I think so when we have a new developer, so like Chris Ledet came, Ilya kind of doesn't manage him, but he's guiding him through the process of getting to know the team. But we try 
I mean, we try to hire Chris and I only people who are kind of entrepreneurial in spirit and can manage themselves because we just don't have the capacity to babysit a bunch of people. And I also don't really want to hire a bunch of managers just to sit around and tell people what to do. Like, I just don't think it's for a small team. We just don't need that. Everybody kind of manages their process. And then Chris manages the kind of overall, like, what's going on? What's blocking you? What's the next step? But we try not to have anybody managing other people or humans. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I just I just don't think it's, it's it is as effective as just focusing on the product. Like if you see a problem with the product, you you just have to you know you just have to fix it. There is there shouldn't yeah. be anyone telling you like go and fix this because you should know that you should fix it because you're focusing on the product and you are managing the product. I think that's more important mm-hmm. than just someone standing behind you with a stick. So it's, so the development teams for Beanstalk and Postmark are the same size. Are these roughly are these products roughly the same amount of successful? Would you say? Beanstalk is older and, uh, you know, just by virtue of time is more successful. And it's, you know, it was our first product. So we put a lot of effort. Postmark is growing really fast and it's doing really well. Um, it just two they're completely two different beasts uh, in terms of the stacks they use, the, uh, the type of client. I mean, the clients are probably the only thing that they have in common, which is both developers, but two different industries, two different um you know, processes. Postmark is .NET on the back end and Rails on the front end. So just, I don't know, and Postmark is much more of an infrastructure product. So it actually requires a lot more development work. So it had more developers from the start than Beanstalk ever did because it's just a more, it's it's just really heavy and it just requires a lot of constant maintenance where, you know, Beanstalk, we can get a lot of really robust servers. Postmark is constantly shifting and moving. And as we grow, it needs a lot more. So if you want to be building features at the same time, you've got to be just constantly doing a lot of infrastructure stuff. So I envision Postmark will probably grow faster in the team size than Beanstalk will. But Beanstalk from a number of customers and, you know, just revenue perspective is bigger than Postmark. So you guys went from, um, so like Beanstalk says on its site that you guys have over 70,000 customers, which is pretty damn established. Um, so you went from um, a consulting company and you have um, Newsberry, which ended up not working out and you shut down. And now you have Beanstalk, which seems very established, Postmark, which is growing pretty quickly. Does the company feel really different to run these days now that you have some success and some, some stability? Is it less stressful? Is it more fun? The last time I remember stability, it, like stress, was maybe before Beanstalk was even launched. So we kind of, just because we're bootstrapped and the way we kind of run the business, like we didn't launch Beanstalk until we were confident, or we didn't become Beanstalk only until we were confident that we could support the team. So really, I think we had much more stress definitely in consulting because you kind of have this project-to-project mentality, and there was times when we're like, crap you know like what if what if the next project doesn't come around and then like well, then what do we do you know you have a team of people that you can't just like fire we never used contractors so it was always like our own team so it's not like you can just fire them because the project's not there and then hire them two months later but at the same time consulting has that way about it like towards the end we were really picky on the clients we chose i mean if shit really got bad we would have just gone and taken a client we wouldn't have really wanted to do but we you know we took anyway so i think like that's probably the last time we really had stability stress maybe but we've always been you know in in the black so we've never kind of had that but it's much more fun to work on your own stuff i think that's a given i mean we do things that we want to do that we feel really strongly about uh beanstalks in this cool spot just because it's so mature and makes a lot of money that like we could play around with things and make mistakes less you know make them 
make more mistakes with less stress, I guess, because, you know, there's room there for to shift and play around with things on the marketing side, on the feature side. You know, we just have so much more data and information and it's a, that kind of stuff's a lot of fun where, you know, when you're just starting off, you're not really you can't risk, you know, 20% drop in revenue one month because, you know, there is no revenue. But when you're bigger, you're like, ah, oh, we can play around and see what happens. And hope oh, that didn't work out and have a lot less stress. So it's a lot, it's a lot of fun. Um, but I, in terms of stability, I don't know. I think consulting was more stressful. Hmm. Do you, so do you have long-term goals in mind? You mentioned some things that you're sort of playing with and sounds a little or shorter term. Do you have a, a long-term picture in your mind of where you want to go or is it more month to month? We have, we have goals. I had a friend once, we had a, we had a friend once tell us like, do you guys have deadlines? And I'm like, no, we don't do deadlines. But we, I mean, we have goals. We, we always have goals. We do these uh, company retreats. I don't know if you saw that, but we're like pretty big on that. Um, we've been doing it for years and we bring the whole team to some ridiculously gorgeous house and we hang out and drink and eat together and do a lot of planning and goal setting. And uh, we do six month goals usually just because it's long enough, but it's short enough where like a year is just a little too far. We rarely do these crazy sales driven revenue goals we usually just do feature goals just because maybe just the way chris and i think but we're not a sales driven company we don't have a big sales team so setting like revenue goals is kind of weird because i can't directly impact that it's not like i can say we need ten thousand new signups because that's going to drive me you know x number thousand dollars in revenue but i can say like let's set these goals on features we think our customers are going to love new customers are going to love and this is going to be really freaking awesome and then the team sits down and says, we, can, we think we can do it in the next six months. We can accomplish these 10 things. And we're like, all right, let's do it. And this year was the first year we sat down and said, we, we had scaled back to one retreat a year because most of the team's in the Philly office. And the retreats are crazy expensive. Um, but we decided, Chris and I, if we can meet all our feature goals, like our work goals in the next six months or by the end of the year, then we'll do another retreat. In like the in the winter, so the team's kind of like in a fun way, like motivated. It's not like a really we're not very competitive or anything here, but it's kind of fun. But we do it like that, so much more feature specific. And then as a company, I don't know, we just want to do this for as long as we possibly can. So it's always about just being, you know, growing and keeping our customers happy and being able to work with this team for as long as possible. So I don't know, I don't. It's not to sell or to do anything crazy. It's just to keep growing and making good money. Awesome. So, Ilya, what do you guys do to um, get better as developers, to grow your skills? Play video games? We play video games and um, we... How do you get your video game skills higher? <laughs> it's actually progressing very well. That's good. Yeah, we have Nerf guns and stuff in the office. It also helps a lot with our survival skills. So, actually, that's a good question because we are doing quite a lot of shift right now we always been doing a lot of rails. Beanstack was rails, like 100% rails from the start. And the full stack was actually rails, not just the web application as it should be, but our background background tasks and even like the version control, post-receive hooks and stuff was also Ruby. And in the beginning, they actually even included full rails environment when they were, when they were firing. Sounds nice and slow. It sounds great, actually. Yeah. Right now, it's all C, I think. Um, so we are we are doing. Sh- we I think we're shifting into functional programming and closure right now, and Dima is leading that way. We have quite a lot of uh, closure in our infrastructure right now in Beanstalk. How do you like it? It Amazing. works great. I mean, it's just yeah, it's probably one of the best things that happened to Beanstalk infrastructure. Interesting. Why? What? Because yeah, go ahead. It performance basically performance because we used to always like using Ruby and Rails. We used to always like say. Yeah, it's not 
super fast, right? But we save time on development and stuff. But at, at some point, you just can't give that up anymore. You just can't give up performance that easily because at some point, like, you need performance. Like, this is your number one priority. And you can imagine we cache a lot of stuff on our side. For, for example, we cache every commit that comes in, and then we get quite a lot of commits daily. And uh, we used to cache them in Ruby, and we used to have a lot of servers just for caching, like physical machines. And each one would have like 20, 20 Ruby workers. And it was very slow. And at some point, we just realized that it's not scaling well, and we either need more machines, and it's going to be too expensive, or Dima is going to save us. And Dima saved us because he just, it was all his hobby project. He started playing with Clojure, and we were like, kind of like laughing at him at first. And then he, he released new caching tool that was, I think, a thousand times faster than Ruby. He's not exaggerating. A thousand times faster. A thousand faster. times faster. Yeah. And we now have like just a couple of these running, like a couple of these processes running. And they're doing the job of like, we used to have probably like 60 workers, Ruby workers doing the same thing. And after that, it was, it was, it was, it was real. And we realized that we have to like we have to continue that way, and we we introduced more and more closure pieces to our infrastructure, and it works really well. We like it very much. We we plan to continue using Rails for the web application, but but we plan plan to scale down the Rails application, and make it responsible for the web for the web part, and remove as much as possible from it that we can we can do in closure and stuff. But back to your question, it was kind of like a. Um, we we always like we always learn something. We go to conferences. We the company actually sponsors. Um, uh, if you want to go to a conference, the company will cover most of the expense. And we always looking into new technologies. We always look in, but not like fanatically. Like we have to use something new, but more like pragmatically. Like this isn't working. Like you know the the, the Ruby processing for cash. So we have to look into something new and. We try to introduce, like, we try to do less, um, like, less new tools, less technology, if possible. Like, if you don't have to introduce a new jam, for example, don't introduce a new jam. Gotcha. Do, do, do you do code review internally? Yeah, we've been, we've been playing with this, and we, we really want to do code, uh, code reviews in the company. And we've been doing more of them lately, but we don't have a solid process for this yet. We don't have a solid answer for that yet. So for a while, it was... When there's not a big group, like for a while, there was not really much to review of each other. Like Ilya and Dima work very closely together in what they do, but there was not really a lot of a need. We used to do more of it when we had some other team members, like back memory, like you know, a few years ago there was more code review. But when it became really Ilya and Dima and their brothers, by the way, Dima built the the very first version of Beanstalk, um, and then introduced us to Ilya, and we brought Ilya on, and that's how we kind of now have the Ruby brothers. Um, that's true. You can look that up. Does that domain still exist? Oh, he shut it down. They used to be called the Ruby Brothers. They were, we met Dima. Yeah, Chris met Dima because Dima translated one of the very first Rails books into Russian. And we back then had some Russian developers and he was looking for Rails and found Dima. And we're like, Dima, you want to come work for us? He's like, nah. We're like, come on, come work for us. And he's like, no, I don't think so. And then finally we convinced him to come work for us. And then it's been, he's been here ever since. But I think like now is more with the three of them, they're definitely looking at each other's code more, but it's just not a solid process, not because we don't believe in it, but because really like when it was such a small group and they were working so closely together, it, a lot of times it didn't really make 
a lot of sense. But now I think they're starting more. And then, you know, we do everything through Beanstalk. We deploy through Beanstalk. And so, you know, we deploy Beanstalk with Beanstalk. So, like, you get to see a lot of, like, what the code changes and things like that are. So it, it's getting more, I think, with especially with Chris Ledette coming on. Yeah, with a third developer, which is still new to us in Beanstalk, we're still trying to figure out the process. That's why I, I said it's not solid yet. We're still trying to figure out what is the proper process. Like, for example, should we do code review before QA or after QA? And because after QA, it doesn't make a lot of sense because you can't do any code changes anymore in terms of refactoring because it was tested. If you do something, you have to re-QA it. So that kind of stuff. And as Natalie said, Dima and I, we're we brothers. We have the same code style because he taught me a lot of stuff in programming in the beginning. And we, you know, we just understand each other without talking. So we, we don't really need to do code review. And the whole application is in our heads. So Code review by shared genetics. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> it works okay. really well. well. Everyone should just do that. Highly recommended. I mean, yes. we, we run a co- husband-wife company, you know, right. Ruby Brothers. It's like, uh, it's all about the family here at Wild Seem, Seems like it. Is that, is that tough, uh, working with your significant other? No. Uh, awesome. We've been doing it for so, I mean, so we, we've been doing it for almost 10 years. So I don't, for us, it's been so, so much part of what we do. And I think we're both extremely entrepreneurial. And so not working together was weird that we did like a stint where I went and did something else for a little bit. And um, we had more issues in our relationship and just like at home those nine months than we did when we were together. I just think we work extremely well together and kind of fight each other's ideas. And if anything, it makes life easier. I, I know from a lot of friends and just, you know, people who work, you know, how don't work in the same place, you know, there's a struggle when you come home to separate work and life. Uh, we don't have to do that because I can't really get mad at him for working because he's working to make us more money. And he can't get mad at me for working because it's the same thing. And we can't really get mad at each other for talking about work because it's the same thing. So there's a lot of less of that kind of stress in the process. Um, but I think we've gotten the pro- we've gotten it down so well that um, there's no way we would do it any different. So for us, it's just kind of the way it works. So if, if I knew you and your company really well, what awesome question would I ask you to let you give me a really cool answer for the podcast? I don't know. Uh, people really like, so people really like to talk about Wild, but from like the family perspective, like we just did a talk at a conference and uh, that's been like a big topic for a lot of people, just understanding the kind of family part of this business. Like Chris and I are extremely proud of the fact that we're really good friends with the people that we work with. And so... Our kids play together like we have we hang out at work, we work together and we go home and we, you know, go out and we have parties at our house and they, they are our closest friends. And I think a lot of people find that very off putting or a little scary and because, you know, you put yourself out there um, at the end of the day, we realize it's business and you kind of can't, you know, you have to understand that it's business and people leave and people come and go and they have to do what's best for them. And uh, we just kind of we kind of put a stake in it and said like we Chris and I work with these people and spend most of our days together and if it's not going to be extremely fun and we're not going to love the people we work with it's just not worth it so we've kind of said like we'll get you know we'll probably be upset a couple times and we'll probably get you know you know people will do things we're not happy about and we'll feel really bad about it but at the end of the day like if I have this core team that I'm extremely proud of and really close with that's kind of the business we want to run so for us it's everything we do is about this kind of like family business so making sure nobody works after five is all part of that like it's extremely important to me that you know Ilya has a one-year-old and like I want him to go home and hang out with his kid like I don't want him 
you know, I want him to go, he's a pilot. I want him to go find, fly planes. Like, that's what I want him to do. I don't want him to worry about working. So, like, I want them to have this awesome life. I want them to make a ton of money. I want them to be happy. You know, like, it's all about that for us. Uh, so we make a lot of business decisions around that. You know, like, we could hire a ton more developers and make this a much less personal environment. And we struggle with that. You know, like, every new developer is you know, another person and a person we don't know. And how, do, how do they get along together? And, you know, all of that, it's extremely important to us. So we do something a little weird that way. I think, uh, we've talked to a lot of friends in the industry who, you know, have pulled away from those friendships because they've had issues in the past, you know, like it's extremely hard to fire a friend. You'd never want to fire a friend, you know? And so you've done it a couple of times and then you probably get really jaded and we've tried really hard not to let it jade us. But, uh, you know, that's just, that's who we are. That's like what Wildbit is. And I think that's kind of unique to our, to the company. That's good. Now, one of my questions uh, was, I was going to ask you when you're happiest. And it sounds like you're happiest building a company that feels like a family. I'm happiest when I'm with my kid. Okay. That's the happiest place. Um, we have a three and a half year old and that's the happiest place. I'm second happiest with the, with the team. Yeah. I mean, I like, there's nothing cooler than waking up and going to work with people that are your friends, you know, that, and so like, I, this is so much fun. Like this, this running a company together with people you love, um, and building a product you really, really love with customers who tell you every day how much they love your product. There's, I mean, there can't be anything cooler than that. So I don't know. We love it. It, We feel it's really funny because the wild bit's 15 years old almost. And this is the first time we've been in the office, I guess almost two years. And this is the first time where we really felt like a, like a grown up company because like for so long we did remote. Chris started doing remote in 2004, no 2002, I guess, uh, before anybody was doing remote, right? Like there was, this is, this is a like, Oh, what's a big deal now. But back then it was like Western union to transfer money, you know, like, and, uh, so for a long time, we had a team and we always had people who worked for us, but it was remote. So like we'd work out of all co-working spaces or coffee shops or our house and we'd go back and forth. And it was, you know, you're running a company for sure, but you don't have like that, like the managing of an office, the managing of people, the, all the tracking that involved in that health insurance and payroll and all those things that come with like having an office. And for the first time, we kind of feel like, okay, this is kind of like a real company, you know, like we're not just like playing around, but we also were able to, in the same time, build this awesome connection with the people that we work with because now they're all here. And so like we brought over three guys on H1B visas and we have one more coming in October. And that was huge for us because these are people we work with for so long and now we're able to work side by side and it changed everything about our productivity, about how we're, how we're successful, you know, meetings and getting to the point are just so much better now than they ever were. And we were huge advocates of, you know, remote work. I still think it works. We still have three people remote, but being in the same office together has like transformed our, the company, like all, everything that we do. So, you know, I'm, this is happy right here, you know? Well, I think that's a, that's a perfect place to wrap things up. Um, so Natalie, if someone wanted to get in touch with you, what's a good way to do that? Uh, email me. Okay. Not just Natalie at wildbit.com. Okay. And Ilya, how about you? Ilya at wildbit.com. Okay. Awesome. Um, Thank you guys very much for being on the show. It was great to have you. Awesome. Yep. Thank you. So if you'd like to access the show notes for this episode, you can go to thoughtbot.com slash podcast slash 62. Today's podcast was recorded by Mike Manor, edited by Mike Manor, and produced by Chad Pytel. Thanks for listening.